Wasn't that beautiful? I, I was sitting there thinking that the, the research varies from seven years to 14 years that, that um, Christians live longer than uh, non-Christians. And they've tried to figure it out. You know, is it clean living? Is it the fact that we forgive? All those kinds of things. And I remember one researcher who wasn't a Christian said that he thought it was because we got together at least once a week and listened to good music. <laughs> and I just felt very nourished by Allison's uh, playing. Did you not? Uh, Julia is here. And those of you with children can meet her at the back with the Bible bags. The rest of us, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18 again. So take your scriptures, go to this first book of the New Testament, the book written by the tax collector who experienced amazing forgiveness of God and uh, organized a wonderful gospel that pulls together Old and New Testaments and pulls together the teachings of Jesus into categories. That's very helpful uh, for us as we study. We're, we're uh, picking up where we left off last week on the Matthew 18 principle. When someone sins against you in Adelphos, uh, a brother, a sister, a child, a fellow Christian, you go to them, you work it through, you, you find forgiveness. There are two stories that um, we're looking at this morning. In our Old Testament lesson we read earlier in the service, about Joseph's forgiveness to his brothers. And you read the account of how they were so afraid when their father died that Joseph was going to seek revenge and uh, finally get what was actually due him. And in a moment, we're going to read the parable of the unforgiving servant. Both stories teach us about who God is, and they teach us about guilt as it builds up over time. They teach us about vengeance and avenging, that it's not ours to do, it is God's. They speak, of course, of empathy, and of course, both of them are primarily about forgiveness. I, I've always liked uh, this parable that Jesus tells in response to the question that Peter asks. It's one of those moments in, in the scriptures where you're supposed to kind of laugh out loud as, uh, as Peter asked this question. Peter, of course, is that external processor who says everything that he's thinking, and he just kind of puts it out there, and it's so helpful to all of us. And Jesus doesn't so much embarrass Peter in the question that he asked, but he shows him that his, his question is actually even the wrong category of what forgiveness is really supposed to be about. It's a category error. It's not just incomplete. You see, he comes to Jesus and he says something that he expects will cause Jesus to say something like this. I'm sure this is what he had rehearsed in his mind, that this is the response that he would get. Wow, Peter, I knew I could count on you. You're such a great Christian. You're right. The rabbis teach that we should only forgive three times. But you know that I'm trying to teach mercy and forgiveness and understanding. And so you doubled the amount to six times and then you added one. You're going to forgive seven times. Wow, Peter, you are such a good Christian. Now let's think about that. Imagine that you keep track of all your relationships and you have a little ledger and at the top of every page is every person's name of every person that you know. And as we talked about last week, you're Adelphos, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your child, 
your fellow Christian does something against you. And so you pull out your ledger and you pull to his page and her page and you start to keep track of it. And you have, if you're a good rabbi, then your ledger would have three lines. You will forgive them three times, but after that they're obviously playing you and you're not going to forgive them again. Now Peter, of course, was so much more gracious. His Christian form doesn't have three lines, it has seven lines in it. Now, seven, you can imagine, unless you actually did have a ledger, how difficult that would be to remember. Now, how many times have I forgiven them uh, for this? And so you would think, okay, I'm going to be more merciful and more understanding than the rabbis might have taught, but seven times, I mean, come on. After an eighth time, then I'm going to hold on to that sin against me and I'm going to nurse that grudge and I'm going to remember what they did and I'm going to use that sin against me as a ticket, perhaps a ticket to get out of the relationship or at least a ticket to show my moral superiority over them and what they've done. So I'll forgive seven times, but how can you expect more? But as we will see, Jesus doesn't praise Peter. He corrects his concept of forgiveness. He says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And the Greek there can actually be translated, I think more accurately, 70 times seven. Now that's a whole different kind of ledger. It's a ridiculous hyperbole. Humorous to think that a ledger to keep track of how many sins would have that many pages. And the humor, of course, cuts through to the problem. The problem isn't just that, that Jesus wants us to forgive more often than the rest of the world and how many times they forgive. It's not the times we forgive, it's the depth of the love that Jesus is describing. It's the desire to keep that relationship and to be one with them regardless of what they have or have not done. We want to be an Adelphos, a brother, a sister, a fellow Christian. Consider the simple truth of this quote. You forgive people, period, simply because you still want them in your life. Simply because you still want them in your life. The alternative for forgiveness is what destroys the us in Jesus. So let's continue the teachings of Jesus in Matthew. As I said last week, he told us when someone sins against you, you go to them, you make it right so that you can be an Adelphos once more, you can be restored. And Peter just wants to know, well, how many times do I have to do that? And that's the human way of thinking about forgiveness, and it misunderstands the total nature of what it means. How often... Do I have to put up with this human being a human? So Matthew 18, let's start with the 21st verse. And we're going to go through the 35th verse. Then Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me, my Adelphos? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times but 77 times, or 70 times 7. Therefore, Jesus goes on to say, the kingdom of heaven 
is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until she should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister, your Adelphos, from your heart. Now keep that open before you, and let's pray. Father, the necessity of forgiveness in order for us to even exist in your kingdom is something that's so profound that it's rather overwhelming for us as, as your people. We need your help to live in that way and in that larger place. And so I would ask that you would be with us, teach us, change us, give us the lungs to breathe your air. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the one who made all forgiveness possible. Amen. Now, everyone, you don't have to be a Christian to know that forgiveness is something all of us should do. We all know the reality that the prisoner in the parable, this created story that Jesus told, is not the one who was thrown into prison, but rather he was the one who would not forgive his brother just as he had been forgiven. The bitterness of his heart was imprisoning his soul such that he ended up putting himself in prison in this lifelong prison, just as the brothers of Joseph had done. His debt was canceled by the master, but he lived in prison. Now, we all know this, but that's what makes this whole area of our life so interesting and so difficult. If we know we should forgive, and we admire Joseph when he forgives his brothers, and we all see, yes, that's the only way they could have possibly lived in peace after the death of their father, and we see the imprisonment of this unforgiving servant such that he is miserable. He is so angry that he grabs the one who owes him something by the throat. Then why don't we if we know it to be so damaging? What holds us back 
from forgiveness. What is this opposite weight that tips the scales of our lives such that we don't forgive, but rather we continue to hold grudges against others? What is the payoff? Why are we continuing that act? I like the way Frederick Beekner describes it in his book, Wishful Thinking. He says, To forgive somebody is to say one way or another, you have done something, something unspeakable, and by all rights, I should call it quits between us. Both my pride and my principles demand no less. However, although I make no guarantees that I'll be able to forget what you've done, and though we may both carry the scars for life, I refuse to let it stand between us. I still want you for my friend. Now notice the counterweights that he describes in what keeps us often from forgiving. I have the right to not forgive you because you broke the law, the rights, the rules. My pride is hurt. My principles demand it. I can't forget what you did. You scarred me for life. Now those are powerful emotions. Every every one of them. And they gnaw at you like a dog gnawing on a bone. It feels very foolish to forgive someone who's hurt you. It feels like weakness before their sin. It feels even permissive as though it didn't matter or even more deeply, you didn't matter. And to let them get by with that. How could they treat you that way? But then we read the story of Joseph. We hear the parable of Jesus. A parable that speaks of the reality of the justice that Jesus was required to pay in order for forgiveness to even be possible. In this parable that he gives, Jesus makes a comparison that's so unbelievably Different, 10,000 bags of gold, of gold, 10 small silver coins. If we cannot receive forgiveness, we cannot give forgiveness. If we cannot give forgiveness, we cannot receive it. So in these two stories, we, we see some principles about forgiveness that are extremely helpful for our lives. The first is found in the words of Joseph to his brothers. We read earlier in the service how Jacob died. At that moment, his brothers panicked. The guilt that they had carried for the sin that they had done against Joseph had been festering and growing with compound interest within their souls and within their minds. And they had this sense that this gnawing guilt was going to finally have to be paid for because the only reason Joseph is not enslaving us is because, or killing us, is because our father is still alive. And so they continued with a fear that caused them to try to manipulate Joseph. And they said, well, on his dying Beth, deathbed, our father said that you should forgive us and that you should, out of honor to our father, let go of this. But notice what Jesus, what Joseph said. 
There's only the smallest verse in Scripture is when Jesus wept and Joseph, this great archetypal Christ of the Old Testament, wept. And then he said three things. First, don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear from me. I am your Adolphus. Second, Joseph said, Am I in the place of God? Is it my place to pass judgment on you or on anyone? Now notice that this occurred in the history of God's people 400 years before God taught Moses on Sinai that it is his responsibility to avenge, that it's not our responsibility. It's his responsibility to make justice and to make all things right. And yet Joseph intuited early on that it is God's place and not our place to make someone pay for their sins. One of the primary weights that tip towards forgiveness is to remember who we are and who God is and that we're not God. We're a fellow human being with this one who has sinned against us. We're both in need of God's forgiveness. And third, Joseph says, you intended this to harm me, but God intends it for good. In other words, this story is not finished. Your story, my story, life itself in this temporary time experience is not finished. There is a God whose story, his story, is being lived out. And it's going to weave together all sin and all forgiveness, all unrighteousness and all that's right, all sorrow and all joy into one final tapestry of completion. A completion that will make all things work together for the good of those who love him. It's in this place and in this purpose that we have a great story of redemption, a great story where we're redeemed, where humanity is redeemed, a saving of lives, as Joseph said it. And of course, then the last lesson we learn from this it's coming from the parable of Jesus, that the willingness to receive forgiveness is directly proportional to our willingness to give forgiveness. Jesus taught us earlier in the book of Matthew how to pray. And as a primary part of that, he made a sentence, forgive us. This is what we're to say every day to God. Forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. Now that's a causal statement. We have received forgiveness and we forgive others and we forgive others as we receive forgiveness. It's a direct correlation of the ability to receive and to give forgiveness that the Lord's Prayer teaches. Now I don't know what sins have been done against you. I've heard many of them. They are deeply painful when I walk with you through it. But I know it's only the tip of the iceberg of the great injuries that humans do to humans. And I know that we all carry great sorrow. Our sense of pride, our rights, the scars that we mutually carry come because of that sin. But this morning and every morning, we have an opportunity to forgive. It's a new day. It's a new 
moment in our lives. And in this time of worship, it's a quiet moment where we get to spend time with God. And I encourage you, if, as you spend this time with God and throughout this Sabbath day, as he brings to your attention things that you have not yet forgiven, I encourage you to turn it over to God, whatever injustice or heart or, or harm, to turn it over to God and to let God take care of it and to receive forgiveness for what you've done and to forgive. In this, of course, you will find freedom. Freedom from the prison of your body, your mind, your soul, that all unforgiveness produces. Let's spend time with him. <laughs> 